Here to talk about his particular race for that office is City Council Member Eric Ulrich of Queens. Uh, welcome to the show. Gentlemen, thank you for having me. Hello, Council Member. Good to talk with you. Thank um, you. So you're running for public advocate in the special election, as we said, February 26th. Everyone in the city should know if they're a registered voter, no matter their affiliation or non-affiliation, they can vote on February 26th. And even folks who are not registered have a couple more weeks to get registered. Uh, we just reported in Gotham Gazette some of those deadlines and such and everything you need to know about the special election. So There, there, are, there are as many candidates as registered <laughs> yeah. voters, I think. If everybody votes for themselves, we're in trouble to tie. Um, so, Councilmember Ulrich, uh, tell us, tell us, and our listeners just a little bit about who you are and where you come from. Well, thank you so much again for having me. Uh, my name is Eric Ulrich. I'm a member of the City Council from Queens. I was elected, uh, ironically, almost ten years ago in a nonpartisan special election, February 24, 2009. I've been reelected several times since. I represent a part of the city uh, that uh, I think a lot of people know was devastated by Hurricane Sandy and. 2012, the Rockaways, Howard Beach, Broad Channel, Breezy Point, uh, definitely, uh, you know, had the brunt of the storm there. So a lot of my legislative work is uh, surrounds Hurricane Sandy recovery issues, resiliency issues. Also very proud of my work on veterans issues. I spearheaded the legislation that created the New York City Department of Veterans Services. Very proud of that. And now I'm in my last term, currently serving, and we have this very unique opportunity to uh, run for public advocate. And uh, it's a nonpartisan special election citywide, and I'm, I've thrown my hat in the ring because I think that I'm the best person to keep the mayor on his feet, keep the mayor honest, and hold the mayor accountable. So I think that is the most important function or role of the public advocate, and I think I'm uniquely qualified to do just that. And why? Why are you uniquely qualified for that role? Well, I think I've, I've been doing a pretty effective job of doing that in the city council in my current role, uh, but also the fact that I, I think that the fact that me and the mayor don't come from the same political party. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, I've never endorsed the mayor, never supported uh, the mayor politically. All the other candidates in the race have done that. Uh, they have, uh, you know, obviously been voting with the mayor and supporting his legislative agenda at City Hall and in some cases Albany. And uh, I, I don't know that, that any of them, quite frankly, are going to be able to be truly independent of the mayor. So if New Yorkers want someone to, to keep the mayor honest, again, to hold him accountable, hold his feet to the fire, uh, and they're not happy with the direction that the mayor's leading the city, and then, then I guess I'm their guy. But uh, if they like the mayor and they like the direction the city is headed in, they've got 20 other candidates to choose from. <laughs> so we should say that um, of the roughly 25 candidates who've said they're running or maybe running, you know, we don't know exactly what the ballot's going to look like for another week or so when petitions have been brought in and we see if there's any challenges to petitions and such, and then we really know who's going to be on the ballot. I will say of the 25-ish candidates who are in that mix, there's probably a couple others who haven't endorsed the mayor in the past, but I think you're referring mostly to the elected officials, the other elected officials in the race. Right. That's right. Yes, sir. So um, say a little bit more. You you mentioned you're not from the same political party. You're elected. You're a Republican. Um, but you, you know, it's very interesting. I've heard you before, but for our listeners, you know, talk a little bit about sort of your political identity and political philosophy. Well, I consider myself a Rockefeller Republican, a New York City Republican, in the same mold as Mike Bloomberg. I'm socially liberal, but I'm fiscally conservative. Um, you know, I don't subscribe to the same Republican brand as the national GOP. Uh, so I'm pro 
pro-choice. I support uh, the LGBTQ community and marriage equality. Um, you know, I, I don't have the same baggage that other uh, more conservative Republicans might have. So let me just say, I consider myself and I describe myself as a moderate Republican. Uh, but putting that aside, I represent a Democratic district. My district is three to one Democrat and non-white majority. And my last election, I got more than 66 percent of the vote. So I always tell people, whatever I'm doing, it must be working because I represent a district and a part of Queens that is not overwhelmingly Republican and is not a majority uh, homogeneous, you know, white homogeneous. So, um, you know, I'm very proud of that. I wear there's a feather in my cap that I've been able to earn the trust and the support of my constituents who are Democrats or independents. And I want to take that brand citywide and show people that I can be a voice for all New Yorkers, not just the people who agree with me or belong to the same party as I do, but again, all New Yorkers from every neighborhood. I want them to know that I want to be a voice for them too. So there's a lot of people who voted for Mike Bloomberg who may be interested in your candidacy, but then there's also a lot of Republicans in the city who may chafe at, at some of the things you just said. I mean, the, the, especially the Republican sort of establishment in the city is pretty pro-Trump and, and pretty behind sort of his brand of the Republican Party at this point. And, you know, I've gotten comments and I've seen some stuff where there's people in the local Republican Party that are not too happy uh, with you. How do you bridge that gap? And, and don't you need those Republicans to come out and vote for you if you want to have any chance in this election? We absolutely want to have uh, the support of not only the people in my party, but again, those independent voters and those independent thinking Democrats, the same ones who elected uh, Mike Bloomberg and, and in some cases even Rudy Giuliani, depending on how long they've been in the city. This election is not going to be a referendum on Donald Trump. It's going to be a referendum on Bill de Blasio. And that is the job of the public advocate. It's not to opine on federal issues that we have no control over. It's to shine light on waste and fraud and abuse and city agencies and city issues, and again, to hold the mayor's feet to the fire and to hold the mayor accountable. For the Republicans who are not uh, completely satisfied with me or think that I don't pass the conservative sniff test necessarily, you know, I don't think there's anybody in the race for them to vote for. Uh, they're not going to be voting for Melissa Mark Viverito, that's for sure. They're not going to be voting for uh, Jumani Williams or uh, Assemblyman Michael Blake. I, I don't even think those candidates would be courting the more conservative Republican voters. The, the Republican vote I think in New York City, by and large, subscribe to the same philosophy as I do. They're common sense, mainstream, middle of the road New Yorkers who vote, who pay taxes, and who want a good government and a clean government. And that's what we're going to offer them. Common sense actually is the name of the party that you have designated for this this nonpartisan election, correct? Yep, that's right. So you can't, this is a nonpartisan election. You can't run as Democrats or Republicans. When people walk into the poll site on election day, they're going to see lots of names. We don't know exactly how many, but we know it'll be probably a dozen or so, maybe more. And they won't have any party designation. So we have to select different names. I think Melissa's is Fix the MTA. Mine is Common Sense. I think one of the other candidates is, you know, the People's Voice. So people really have to be educated about the candidates that are running, what they stand for, and uh, and why they're voting for that candidate. 
You're listening to Max and Murphy. We're speaking with Council Member Eric Ulrich, a candidate for public advocate. If you want to ask a question, give us a ring at 212-209-2877. Council Member, you mentioned that you're coming up on 10 years being in the city council. And if your career in the council does end with the special election because you are successful and become public advocate. From your lips to God's ears. <laughs> fingers are crossed. Uh, will What will people remember about your term in the council? So what are the accomplishments you will point to um, in the decade that you've been there? Well, I I am very proud of the work that I've done on veterans issues. I mentioned that I I spearheaded uh, single-handedly the legislation that created the Department of Veterans Services. New York is now the biggest city in America that has a dedicated city agency that serves not only veterans in the five boroughs, but their families, more than 200,000 of them. So I I salute and appreciate and thank all of our servicemen and women and those uh, who are coming home. And we have, I think, a moral and a legal obligation to make sure that their needs are met. And also the Sandy recovery issues. I think that my constituents in Rockaway in particular will appreciate how hard I fought the bureaucracy to cut through the red tape, to get them back in their homes, to get their businesses back up and running. I fought like hell to make sure that nothing stood in the way of them being made whole again. And uh, and that put me at odds with uh, a lot of folks at City Hall because I, I, I wouldn't stop until I made sure that, that the job was done. And, uh, you know, I think that th- that strong record of constituent services mixed with serving people who, quite frankly, need our help the most um, are things that I would point to and I think a lot of folks in my district would remember fondly. Say a little bit more about how you would approach the job of public advocate. You talked about uh, saying that you think you're the best to, uh, suited to hold the mayor accountable and that you've been doing that to some extent as a council member. What does the public advocate's office look like under you? How do you do that? What are the, what are some of the more specific ways in which you would approach that? We have some candidates in the race talking about certain issues they know they would focus on. Um, you know, What does it look like for you? I think that now more than ever, New Yorkers are looking for a citywide elected official who actually wants to fix and address city issues. You know, the mayor is up in Vermont. The mayor is in Iowa. The mayor is everywhere except New York City. Uh, the mayor is, is really, you know, asleep at the switch. I think that if we had a public advocate whose sole focus was on fixing things and addressing issues that, that New Yorkers feel like have been ignored under this administration, that would go a long way. And one of the ways I'd like to do that, to be more specific is I'd like to decentralize the office. Right now, the public advocate is based in Manhattan. Well, the office is based in Manhattan. I'd like to see a deputy public advocate in each borough, someone who is known and well-respected in each borough that can go to the community board meetings, go to the neighborhood associations, go to the churches and the mosques and the synagogues, and bring back feedback from the street about real issues that are affecting real New Yorkers in every neighborhood and in every borough. I think that if the public advocate office is seen as truly being an ombudsman of the people, you know, the voice of the people and someone who's willing to use the power of the bully pulpit to persuade and sometimes shame and embarrass particular agencies into, you know, fixing flooding conditions or paving particular streets or addressing quality of life concerns that that 311 and the mayor just don't even touch. That would make the office, I think, a lot more valuable and people would, would truly see the significance of having the public advocate there because that person could do all of those things. We have a question from a listener. Hi, welcome to Max and Murphy. What's your question for the council member? 
Hi. Oh, is that me? Yes, go ahead. Okay, thank you. Hello, Councilman. Yeah, I live in Brooklyn. I have a small one-family home. And, uh, you know, what's never really taken into account in in a discourse in the city is the plight of small one-family homeowners that, uh, you know, not getting any rental income and things like that. And although the houses have a lot of market value, a lot of people are senior citizens in a very, very low-income situation. So, I mean, what we need is someone, uh, the public advocate, like to deal with the city agencies. That's the primary thing. Sometimes you could be entitled to an exemption uh, on property taxes, and sometimes you have to fight like heck with the finance department to get exemptions you're entitled to. This is a reduction on the property taxes. Maybe you're, you're living in poverty, or you're a senior citizen, or you're a veteran. Let me ask you about sidewalk repairs. In the area where I live, uh, it's sort of like called Kings Bay, there's a huge city public housing project, Sheeps and Nostrand Housing, and the sidewalks are terribly broken, cracked, and holes, and trip hazards, and and this is property that's entirely owned by the city. There's no private buildings there, and the city doesn't fix it, yet the one-family homeowners have to pay an assessment for, for the city sidewalks. Uh, what are your thoughts about that, that the homeowners, you know, is there any discount could be given for a homeowner who's below the poverty line or is a senior citizen, and is it fair to assess the homeowners when the city doesn't fix their own sidewalks, and that goes for not only the public housing, but municipal parks where it's entirely city property, and the sidewalks are broken to pieces. All right, that's what? a good good series of questions, Council Member. Uh, property tax exemptions for single-family homeowners, and the question of sidewalk repair and maintenance in the city. Anything the public advocate can do on either of those counts? Absolutely. You know, he brings up a great point. We have a broken property tax system in the city that rewards people who don't deserve to be rewarded and punishes, you know, hardworking middle class homeowners uh, such as, you know, the caller. Uh, I, I think it's really outrageous that Bill de Blasio's home, for instance, in Park Slope pays less in property taxes than the homeowners who live in my in my district in Howard Beach when, when the cost or the value of the mayor's home is three times the value of that particular home in Queens or Brooklyn. So we know we have a broken system that that is not reflecting the real market value of those homes. It's based on a bogus assessed value. When the city wants to collect more revenue, they just raise the assessed, uh, you know, assessment rolls so that they can collect more tax revenue from people. Also, making it easier for for senior citizens or veterans to get the exemptions that they need. You know, that that is very important. We've done workshops and town halls with the Department of Finance and the New York City Property Tax Commission. We want to make sure that we save people as much money as we can. But on the whole, it's a broken system. The mayor set up this commission. They haven't come back with with recommendations. I tried to get on that lawsuit. It was actually Jamani Williams and I that were on that lawsuit to try to sue the city to come up with a fair system, one that really reflects the real market value of the homes and doesn't reward people in neighborhoods that don't deserve to be rewarded with tax relief and punish middle-class neighborhoods that are just getting soaked. Okay, uh, so I, th- I was going to ask you for you know sort of just your one specific element that you think needs reform, but it sounds like it's really just making it a system that's really based on the actual assessed value of homes and and not uh, not the current mishmash of a system. Well, we you know we we didn't propose specific recommendations, but we know what the current system is not working. That's why we we 
signed on to that amicus brief. And by the way, it affects not only my district, but communities of color throughout the city, which is why you saw Jamani Williams, you know, so strong on that. We actually co-wrote an op-ed together. It was an issue that I think it was bipartisan, where people could agree, Brooklyn, Queens, and the outer boroughs, we're getting screwed by the city in terms of property taxes. And your caller mentioned he's a, a one-family homeowner. You know, he, he might be paying more than, than a two-family homeowner in another part of Brooklyn, where the houses sell for two or three times what he's able to get for it. It just doesn't make sense. It's really not fair. We're going to go to another caller. You're on WBAI with Councilmember Ulrich. What's your question? Councilman, as a current member of the council, what uh, can be done, what is going to be done, and what do you think will happen regarding the Amazon debacle that the mayor and the governor negotiated to give the richest person and one of the richest corporations in the world $3 billion rather than to put those resources towards the desperate needs of the city? a leading question, but a good one. What's what's your take on that, Councilmember? Well, listen, I'm for jobs. I love jobs. I want people to come to New York and create jobs because I'm all for jobs. But at the same time, what I what I absolutely am disgusted by is the process, okay? And the fact that the mayor and the governor, who couldn't get along to fix the MTA, who couldn't put their heads together to fix the problems at NYCHA, but somehow or another, they were able to kiss and make up and sign a sweetheart deal for Amazon in the middle of the night with no public input, no community engagement whatsoever, leaving out the elected officials in the community. Uh, I think that was disgusting. That is not an example of a transparent, good government. And that's not what New Yorkers want to see. So, you know, I'm not against Amazon. I use Amazon all the time. I think most New Yorkers are probably customers of Amazon, and they they appreciate the fact that they're going to create these jobs. But giving tax breaks away in return without any community engagement or input from from the other stakeholders in Long Island City and and in Queens in general, I think was a big mistake, and it's going to come back to haunt the mayor. So we have time for one more question. So about 60 seconds into this. I'm curious, looking at your predecessors, Mark Green, if you are elected public advocate, Mark Green obviously ran for mayor unsuccessfully. Bill de Blasio ran successfully. Tish James now as our state attorney general. Obviously, the office is viewed as a stepping stone. That could be a plus, gives you buzz. It could be a minus. It's going to you know, cast everything you do if you're elected um, in that in that lens. What will you say about that um, if you are elected in terms of your future ambitions? Are you critiquing uh, a mayor whom you hope to succeed someday? Well, I mean, look, Mark Green was a thorn in the side to Rudy Giuliani, and Betsy Gottbaum and Bill de Blasio, I think, did a heck of a job driving Mike Bloomberg nuts. I think if you ask Mayor de Blasio who the last person he'd want to win the special election is, I'd bet any amount of money he says it's me, uh, because I believe that I I know how to... Uh, I really know how to get to him. But the point is this. Um, the public advocate needs to be a check on the mayor. It can't be a rubber stamp. Mayor de Blasio fired his DOI commissioner because uh, Commissioner Peters was exposing a lot of uh, waste and fraud and abuse in administration and particular agencies. I don't think the mayor liked the fact that he was getting too close to City Hall. And uh, I think the mayor right now is trying to cherry pick and figure out which one of the Democrats that are in a race he wants uh, to be a watchdog over him so he can try to exert influence over that person, too. So I think that for the sake of how the office was set up in the charter and what New Yorkers want to see, uh, quite frankly, I think that I'm the best person for the job. And that's why I'm asking for everyone's support on February 26th. City Council Member Eric Ulrich running for public advocate in the special election. Thanks for joining us here on WBAI, and we will talk with you soon. 
Thank you so much. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Take Happy care. You too. And we're back on Max and Murphy for some parting thoughts. Ben, we've just been talking about public advocates race, state of the city, obviously looking at those over the coming week. We just published an update on where the mayor's rezoning stand. We'll have an article coming out later this week about Amazon's lobbying record here and elsewhere. What do you have coming up? Well, we just published a pretty in-depth article on Corey Johnson's first year as city council speaker that I would point folks to, as well as a lengthy look at where the fighting climate change conversation is heading in 2019 at both the state and city levels. And we're certainly continuing to look at different elements of this public advocate special election. We'll be covering the mayor, state of the city, and uh, this new day in Albany. I'm hoping to have a good look at sort of where the Democrats and state government are agreeing, disagreeing, and where there's a lot of detail to be worked out on on some of the policies up there. Well, Max and Murphy is a production of WBAI in partnership with City Limits and Gotham Gazette. It's produced by Reggie Johnson. Its hosts are Jarrett Murphy and Ben Max. Its theme song is by Ford Indy. It's available as a podcast from iTunes, SoundCloud, and lots of other places. It airs every Wednesday at 5 p.m. We hope you'll join us next week and every week right here on WBAI 99.5 FM, listener-sponsored, non-commercial radio. Until next time, have a great week in the greatest city in the world.